The revolution will not be televised, but it is being digitized right here on Digital Village. Hi, I'm Rick Allen. Along with Leilani Albano, we'll be bringing you the latest in cyber news and culture as long as we're able to. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org and digitalvillage.org. So on with the show. Today we talk about nurses and how they are coping with the COVID-19 pandemic. I don't want to go back to where we were before. I want all these problems that 2020 showed us that we have, I want us to start working on them to be better. Despite a downward trend in COVID-19 cases due to vaccinations, registered nurses and other healthcare workers continue to die at an alarming rate. While there is no official number of pandemic-related deaths, a February 2021 study by Kaiser Health News and The Guardian reports that more than 3,400 healthcare workers have died due to the COVID virus. Of that number, close to one-third were nurses. Four nurses with a Southern California-based union, SEIU-121RN, talk about what inspired them to join the nursing field. They also speak of work conditions, the lack of PPE, and inadequate staffing, their experiences with the virus, and their hopes for the future. Digital Village's Leilani Albano leads the conversation by asking nurses why they became health care workers. Nurse Jacenta answers first. I am from Los Angeles, and my mother was a nurse. I, my, I have two sisters that are also registered nurses. I saw a delivery when I was in college, and I was so amazed. And I noticed the nurse that was conducting the delivery, was not allowing the mother to hold the baby. She seemed more interested in the paperwork. And already I was correcting her care, even though I wasn't a nurse. And my mother said to me, you need to become an RN. You're majoring in the wrong thing. Uh, My name is Gemma, and I live here in Southern California. I work as a registered nurse. I've been a nurse for 30 years. And uh, what got me into nursing is because uh, I was encouraged by my parents. I think that one of dreams that I wanted to be is to come here in the United States. And I was a fresh, you know, graduate in high school. I really didn't know what I wanted to be because I have an aunt who is a nun. She always encourages us to do some charity work. My name is Monique uh, Hernandez. I am from Southern California. Nursing for me was always in my stars. It's what I wanted to do. I have a journal entry from when I was in the third grade stating that I would become a nurse one day. My name's Carmela Gonzaga. Originally, I'm from the Philippines. What got me into nursing is the fact that I think I have a calling in high school. Junior year, I already know I want to be a nurse. It's a very rewarding career. I grew up practically in private school. There's a lot of teaching about caring for other people, especially the physically impaired population. What are some of the favorite things you like about nursing? I really like providing top quality care to my patients. 
most of our patients are, I would say, primarily undocumented. And I like to see that they have great care. So tell me, what has been some of the best things about being a nurse? Oh, I, I love my job. I love being a nurse. And I've been a nurse. Uh, I, I work as a bedside nurse. It gives me um, great pleasure when I go home, knowing that I have taken care of my patients, knowing that they'll be going home healthy again, that I've served them. We got into healthcare to help and heal and be there at bedside, and bedside is a beautiful thing. I work in an ICU setting, and we usually get patients from acute care setting that needs or requires further care and treatment like rehab. So whenever they get better, I get to the point where, you know, I'm very happy that I was able to help out with the recovery of that patient. What has been some of the most difficult things you've experienced with COVID at work? For us, it would be initially we had no PPE. We were buying our own. And I was spending about $250 a month on PPE, giving it to the housekeepers and the nursing aides I work with that couldn't afford it, feeling like even though the hospital I work in was building a $400 million wing, they weren't providing PPE. They didn't care about us. And initially, they were giving us one surgical mask per week. We knew we weren't protected with that, so we began to buy our own. We most unfortunately lost a coworker to COVID. She was a charge nurse, and she worked on a different floor than myself, and she had to go into a code, the job of a charge nurse is to go into any room where there's a problem, and especially a cardiac arrest of a known COVID patient, and she had to attend it in a surgical mask. There were no N95 masks on the floor. She became infected and she died. This pandemic is heartbreaking. It changed my outlook in life. You know, there's Nothing permanent in this life, but, you know, it, everything can, can be taken away from you right away. I've seen um, death after death. Um, thinking of particularly one patient I had who died because he just bled himself to death because with this outpatient ratio we have since this pandemic, there are shortages with nurses. We were given patients more than what we can handle. And I could remember when I know he was going to die that I just whisper in his ears and said, I'm so sorry, I wish I could do something more for you. And, you know, to cry with, with his family, when you FaceTime with them, it, it's really heartbreaking. And this is just one of the very many that we had since the pandemic started. What has been the most difficult thing about COVID at work? I think the most difficult thing about COVID was the fear in the beginning, uh, the not knowing, the our hospital being ill-prepared for a pandemic. I think the world being ill-prepared for a pandemic is no excuse. I was taking care of a young man who was in his 20s, and he was going to discharge 
he was going to go home. And he told me, like, my dad is here in the hospital, too. And I said, okay. And I said, where's your dad? And he's like, oh, he's on third floor somewhere. And I'm like, okay. So I found out his dad was in the ICU. I arranged so that I could take him to see his dad. I did. And um, with my ICU experience, I knew, given his dad's age, the likelihood of his father surviving COVID was low. And he reached out to me two weeks ago. And... um, he wanted to tell me thank you and he said you know you gave me that opportunity with my dad and we facetimed his family while they were in the room together and he's like that was the last time that was the last time i saw my dad so what has been the most difficult thing during covid the for most you? difficult thing is when they come into our door and they're already at the point where they won't last for a day or two and Informing the family is really a hard task for us, especially for me, because I feel like if I'm in that position where the families are coming from, it's going to be very hard to lose a loved one just like that. What has been hard about this time for you specifically, and how has it impacted your life? It's very stressful. I don't socialize with people at all. Because the fear is that even though I'm vaccinated now, I could be an asymptomatic carrier, and I don't want to make anyone sick. I have a big family, and I don't see them. I speak to them on the phone, but I don't see them. It's like not nursing wherein you heal the sick and you expect them to go home. But then, like with COVID, you feel like, are we going to have another patient going to die today? It's just like so many deaths. And it becomes depressing. I knew there are, like, nurses who committed suicide. Every day I come to work, I would just, you know, like, pray because I'm still hopeful that um, for every uh, COVID patient I take care, that they will be able to recover and that prayers can help with them. And I just hang on to my faith. There's the mental health strain that really we're kind of starting to talk about, but no facility is really addressing it, saying, like, you guys saw an unprecedented amount of death, not just in the ICU. We're talking on the medical floors. You are the primary caregiver in this in this uh, role. You do what you think is the best for your patient according to your role as a registered nurse according to your scope of practice. And I feel like I just need to do what I need to do to make the patient better. If not, I just need to do what I need to do to coordinate the care with the doctor in times where patient's condition is not going to have a full recovery. So what is the first thing you're going to do when the pandemic is over? I'm going to Cuba. I want to visit Cuba, and I'm very interested in their healthcare system that is not profit-driven. What is the first thing you'd like to do when the pandemic is over? I just want to enjoy life again, like go back to church, wherein you're going inside the church, you're going back to the mall, you know, like you go eat at work with your friends without 
social distancing. However, I would still probably put my mask, even if this is over. I don't see it being over, like just like one day to the next, it's just over. I think we learned so much. I don't want it to go back. I want people to be more cognizant of washing your hands, of, hey, if you're sick, stay home. I want people to be more aware of things like that. I want, I want the country to see the holes in our healthcare system that we need to fix. You know, I don't want to go back to where we were before. I want all these problems that 2020 showed us that we have, I want us to start working on them to be better. I want us to realize that, yeah, what really matters? Who did you really miss during the lockdown? That's what matters. Those people are what matters in your life. What is the first thing you're going to do when the pandemic is over? Retire and travel. <laughs> it depends because uh, right now um, I'm torn between do I want to retire or not. I'm nearing that period. But uh, however, I, I said to myself, you know, I'm going to miss this role in my life. Are you hopeful for the future? Why or why not? Yes and no. Yes, that we're getting vaccinated. More people are getting vaccinated. And weary and tired because we hear about the other strain that's coming out of South Africa that perhaps our vaccine won't protect us from because the protein layer has mutated. So we know the mutation of the protein layer is not promising and we know how, how small the world is. I am very hopeful because that's the only thing that would make us live and to hope, to have faith. And I am hopeful that everything will be okay again. Are you hopeful? I am very hopeful that we can get to a place and be better. And I think we want to be kinder. We want to be more patient. I will always vote for hope. I'm hoping for the future to get better. I hope that this pandemic will end soon. Thanks so much for joining the show. You're welcome. We've been listening to four registered nurses from the SEIU-121-RN Union. They spoke with Digital Village's Leilani Albano. In the United States, nearly one-third of all nurses dying of COVID-19 are Filipino. This despite the fact that, according to a recent report, Filipinos only make up 4% of the total number of nurses. In a September study, National Nurses United Union found that 67 of the 213 registered nurses who have died of COVID-19 and related complications were of Filipino descent. Since then, the union says that death toll has grown. But the high fatality rate isn't just prevalent in the states. In other parts of the world, Penai nurses, along with other health care workers, make up a large percentage of death caused by the coronavirus. With us today to talk about this issue is Jean Batalova, Senior Policy Analyst with the Migration Policy Institute. She speaks with Digital Village's Leilani Albano. Welcome to the show. 
Thank you. In the U.S., nearly one-third of all registered nurses dying of COVID are Filipino. Can you tell us about that? And is enough being done to address the high death rate? So there are several reasons why Filipino nurses are exposed to a higher risk of both getting infected with COVID and dying from it. The very first one is that they tend to work on the front lines of care for COVID patients. For instance, many work in acute care and ICU nursing. Many Filipino nurses also work in nursing homes, which, as we know, were hit among the hardest. So the healthcare workers who work in such locations are also exposed to higher risk. Working in healthcare is a long-standing tradition for many Filipino Filipinos in the United States. So if if you work in healthcare and your sister works or your husband works in the industry, it is just by by the sheer presence and exposure, uh, everyone is faces a higher risk of being infected and dying. A widespread issue that concerns not only the the Filipino nurses but others is the lack of personal protective equipment, and that has been a big, big challenge for many hospitals and community centers. But it seems that for certain groups of workers, it's a bigger issue. They have not as much voice and clout, so to speak, in the places of work, so if they getting the personal protective equipment, they might be the last in line to get it. So the question is, is enough being done to address the high death rate? It's a difficult situation at the moment because we are still in in the crisis. And the issue in the Filipino community is that they often don't complain. The story about Filipino nurses is that they are patient, they are hardworking, they are doing their job well, but they don't complain. Even at the time of crisis, there is a lot of attention to the issues at, at hand. However, there is some change. The unions are speaking out and the individual nurses are speaking out. So while at the moment, uh, maybe not as much as it should be done, there is definitely a, a momentum going for these issues to be brought at the front. Do we know the actual number of Filipino nurses in the U.S.? So we estimated that more than 140,000 registered nurses are nurses from the Philippines, and they account for 28% of more than half a million of registered nurses in the United States. So the Filipino immigrants and, and by extension, also Filipino American. Uh, nurses are clearly overrepresented in the nursing profession. And that is also one of the reasons why they are more exposed to coronavirus. And because of other multiple risk factors, they are more likely to die from complications. And why has nursing become such a popular field among Filipinos? Can you trace it back for us? Several reasons. One has to do with how immigrants from the Philippines initially came to the United States, and that has to do with the fact that the Philippines used to be an occupied territory, a colony of the United States. Immigrants from the Philippines were coming to work in agriculture and in railroad construction in the beginning of the 20th century, but some came also to obtain education here. They went back home, 
they started training specifically in the healthcare field. So if both time you had enough of people who had U.S.-based education, and when after the Second World War, there was an increasing need for healthcare workers in the United States, one of the first places that hospitals and other employers turned to were to the Philippines. And that kind of became the first significant wave of healthcare professionals. And in terms of the availability of jobs for women in the Philippines? It depends a lot on where in the Philippines they are and what educational opportunities that the family can give. The poverty level is very high and for women in particular, the opportunity is not that extensive. So nurse, uh, healthcare profession and nursing is one of the well-paid uh, jobs in the Philippines as well as it's prized for its qualities that you can go abroad and get a job abroad. You mentioned some of the factors as to why Filipino nurses are dying of COVID, and you've talked about some of the work conditions but can we go into that a little bit more? Where are Filipino nurses overrepresented in hospital units? Are they in places where COVID infection is high? Well, they are more likely to work in acute care, in ICU nursing, and they are often staying with patients who might be dying, but their family members are not there. So they are in the front lines of care for COVID-19 patients. And without adequate personal protective equipment, they are more exposed to the risk of infection. In terms of long-term care facilities, they tend to be concentrated there too, right? Filipino nurses are often working in long-term care facilities like nursing homes. So what does that mean in terms of exposure? It depends a lot on who the patients are. And people who reside in long-term care facilities and nursing homes, they, they face multiple risk factors. One is age, and that's one of the biggest uh, predictors of getting infected and dying from COVID. The conditions might not be as carefully monitored in long-term care facilities compared to hospitals. We hear in the news about hospitals in need of personal protective equipment, and that's where the primary attention is. So workers who are in settings that do not receive a lot of attention are less likely to receive the care and the equipment that they need. Well, many Filipino nurses also have a second shift as caregivers for their children and parents. How does that fact increase their likelihood of contracting COVID? In many Filipino families, more than one person works in the healthcare sector. So when you have your sister or your husband who's works in the in the healthcare sector, the risk is higher. And when people come home and they have to instead of resting and relaxing, they also have significant care responsibilities for children and for elderly family members that just places a personal and emotional toll on the very tired and exhausted frontline healthcare workers. We are talking both in terms of the exposure to the infection at work, as well as being tired and exhausted at work. 
So the combination of the risk factor uh, of infection and also physical and emotional exhaustion that together they face a higher risk of not only contracting but also dying uh, from COVID and COVID-related complications. In one study, Filipinos are found to be more vulnerable to COVID because of factors in their community, such as a large undocumented population, economic insecurity, and lack of health insurance. What's the connection? Well, the connection is quite straightforward. If you are undocumented and working in a nursing home and you're exposed to, you're working without personal protective equipment, you are not going to complain about not having that equipment because that means that you will be fired from the job. And those who don't have health insurance, that means that they may not test or test in time or test early enough. They may not be able to go see a doctor to say that, you know, something's happening and I have a scratchy throat and can I get tested? And also people, if they work in multiple jobs, to support themselves and their families, they just expose themselves to more risk than a person who is working just in one job. So all of these community factors and family factors and, and personal factors, they all play a role in how the uh, infection is shaping up for an individual or a family or the community. We know from the studies that communities of color are bearing the higher toll of COVID because they are more likely to get infected and they are more likely to die from uh, infection compared to the to white communities. Well, despite the inequalities, the healthcare industry in general remains as one of the most popular career paths for Filipinos, and this isn't likely to change. Why should people be concerned about healthcare workers? of color in general, and, and Filipino healthcare workers specifically? COVID-19 really exposed the fact that the U.S. healthcare system that is prized in so many ways has many, many dark sides. And one, of course, is the fact that patients, in particular patients of color, are less likely to be able to access it in time when they need it. But the other side is that the workers themselves who are keeping that industry evolving and flourishing also bearing the, the uh, bearing high cost. So understanding both sides and really bringing this to the forefront and addressing these long-standing inequalities that, that coronavirus essentially exposed and brought to their attention is critical because of the high rate of burnout among the healthcare providers. is not good for anyone in the long run. Well, thanks for joining the show. Thank you. That was Migration Policy Institute senior analyst Jean Batalova. She spoke with Digital Villages Leilani Albano. That's it for this version of Digital Village. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org and digitalvillage.org. For Leilani Albano, I'm Rick Allen. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you online.